This is the Global Service Associates Podcast, and I'm your host, Andy McCullough. Dan Emig. Dan, why don't you give a little bit of background of um, who you are, where you live? Sure, sure. Well, thanks, Andy, for you and having me on the GSA podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, it's an and, honor uh, to have you. Honor to have you even ask me. So, yeah, looking, looking forward to this. Yeah, so I am married. So a wonderful woman named Nora, and we've been married 30 years. Wow. 33-0. And <laughs> we have three kids, still call them kids. Jonathan's 24. He lives in LA, has a good job with um, an internet development firm he's working for out of Australia, and wow. uh, also is developing his own cooperative app for apple and <clears throat> so yeah he's he's loving his work and love being in california brian's 22 he um he's our wild guy he's uh <laughs> he's doing youtube now with a guy named matthew beam who's a local person here in town and some of this adventure youtube channels like mr beast and so Matthew Beam knows all the Mr. Beast types in the U.S. And so Jonathan's being I think I'm old. I don't, I don't know who Mr. Beast is. Or, okay. But, okay. I don't know and, that uh, I need to. I can search that, I guess. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then my daughter, Eliana, she's uh, going to Pikes Peak um, Community College here in town. Yeah, that's where Bruce, Bruce is a uh, professor there. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, I've encouraged her to kind of dip her, dip her toe into the philosophy yeah. department and, and uh, mm -hmm. catch a class of Bruce. Yeah, that'd be that'd wonderful. Be awesome. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's our family, three dogs. And, and you're, are you in Colorado Springs or in Monument? We are in Monument, the same okay. town that Mike Parks lives in. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you I want to go in a little bit about some of the things you experienced in the last year, but you work with Mike and Frontier Partners and, and do you do other stuff with um, Global Hope or? Yeah. In fact, I'm actually, as far as the percentage goes, a much higher percentage of my work is with Global Hope Network International. Okay. And so, um, Frontier Partners International with Mike Parks. I help Mike. I'm part of the part of the board, and have done quite a bit of traveling before this past year with Mike in the Middle East. So, lots of uh, you know, Mike used to be on staff with the GHNI, okay. and so we go way back, you know, 11, 12 years with our travels and ventures and adventures and risks together. 
and uh, lots of great times with him, yeah. traveling and ministering in uh, villages with refugees. Yeah, I mean, and, and if people had a chance to listen to that podcast, Mike, share some amazing stories of sure. what's happening and you've been working alongside him. And uh, were you were you with Navigators before that? Is that... Well, not not really. I, I no. worked as a non-staff person okay. with Navigators over in Yugoslavia uh -huh. for in campus ministry and stuff, but never was staff. And so, but did spend two months in what used to be called Yugoslavia right. way back, way back when. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> so have a lot of great memories and experiences with navigators. But no, but I, most of my work, it's, it's varied over the last, you know, 30 years. We, we began with Nora and I on staff with a group that used to be part of CREW. Uh, Carl Wilson began Worldwide Discipleship Association. Oh, yeah. He began WDA. their high school. Yeah. WDA. He began their high school ministry for CREW way back when, and then broke off and formed WDA. So Nora and I were involved with campus ministry at the University of Georgia for a number of years. Go dogs. Go dogs. Ruff, ruff. Uh, what, you, what years were you at Georgia, Dan? I was wow. wondering if we, so, did we overlap? Yeah, I graduated maybe. in 86. Yeah, we, we came on staff. I came on staff in 92. Okay. So you were, you were, you were with WDA and, uh, and you've, kind of non-staff with NAVs and Global right. Hope. So you've kind of kind of had your run the gamut of missions. And uh, we, we have. In fact, uh, some would tell you, say I've run the gamut too much with <laughs> variety. So we, we, went, we went to Romania back in 96 with WDA. Okay. And, uh, spent our first three years in Romania with them and then came back and kind of licked our wounds and relaunched with Greater Europe Mission, who is based here in Monument, Colorado. Yeah, I didn't know Relaunched okay. with Jim, Jim as it's called, GEM. Uh -huh. And uh, so spent six more years in Romania with Greater Europe Mission. Okay. And um, yeah, so lots of good times with that organization in Romania and back here in the States. And then we, um, you know, Mike Parks kept in touch with me over the years. Mm -hmm. In fact, he would, back when, you know, internet first came out and people began doing live sessions like a Zoom time. It wasn't Zoom back in those days, but we would pray together. He was in Geneva, Switzerland with GHNI and uh, we'd pray together and I'd kind of follow Mike through his adventures. And, and so when we came back to the States, I was still in touch with him. And we talked off and on, and then quite a bit toward the end, about the possibility of coming on staff at GHNI. I knew nothing about village development and, you know, refugees and yeah. disaster relief and... <laughs> <laughs> you were a campus guy. Yeah. I was a campus campus guy. 
and really more of a navigator kind of guy mm-hmm. as far as spending time with non-Christians and kind of trying to mix it up in our community, in our, in our village there in Romania, being around professionals in Bucharest. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as far as a leaning, my leaning has always been that direction. Yeah. But then came on staff with GHNI. Um, and then for the last 11, almost 12 years now, have been with GHNI. So again, a whole different world of, of adventure. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, God's taken me through different countries. I've been to, you know, of course, Romania and Serbia. Mm-hmm. Armenia, mm-hmm. India, mm-hmm. Nepal, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and most recently with FBI, Iraq, Kurdistan, and and Lebanon. Yeah, you actually people. spent a little more time in Lebanon in 2020 than you thought you were going to, right? I did. I did. <laughs> I, I caught COVID. <laughs> Wonderful COVID zapped me as I was getting off the plane. There in Beirut, Beirut, ended up in a hotel room for two weeks by myself, isolated. And uh, two weeks is that right? I was thinking yep. it was even longer. Yeah. yeah, most people would have been like sitting streaming movies. You were like working on a degree or something, weren't you? Well, I was doing quite a bit of of a coursework. It wasn't. It was just you know doing your navigators, was, memorizing scripture. Yeah. Right. Right. It was more like staying alive and just, I mean, COVID-wise, I wasn't that sick. Right. So yeah. it was a matter of just uh, you getting You had to test it, to get out, right? Keep testing. Five times I tested, I think, mm. to get out. And finally, it was negative. So, yeah. Yeah. But I was busy. Doing. Yeah. Dan, I wanted to spend most of the time, and obviously, you've got so much to share about the work you've done and things, but I know a year ago, uh, you had a life change and uh, maybe you could just, maybe not everyone knows kind of what happened and you could just kind of walk us through that and just even sure. what God's been teaching you through that. Sure. Well, I could spend the whole hour talking about the past year. I mean, it was, um, Definitely life-changing. And so what happened was May 23rd, I was I was driving south on I-25 here in Colorado and got off on Baptist Road here in Monument. And this excruciating pain hit my right chest and my back. And I just thought, you know, heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. And so you know, foolishly or not, I made my way home. It was just a, about a mile away. Got up the hill and um, stumbled in the front door. And my son, Jonathan, happened to be there. And I said, I just screamed, Jonathan, please call 911 and get me an ambulance. I'm having a heart attack. And so it, it was not a heart attack. It was actually a dissected aorta, which most medical professionals would say is worse than a heart attack. And uh, so it's where the, there's two layers 
in your aorta. That's the, the aorta is the main tube coming out of your, your heart. And so it had ruptured on the outer layer of that, of the aorta. So <clears throat> I learned later, once I got to ER and they took me that I had a, about a 25% chance of making it just to the emergency room, to yes. ER. And another 25% chance of making it through dissected aorta surgery. And then another 25% chance of making it through recovery in ICU. So I kind of crunched the numbers a little bit one day and I said, well, let's look at this and subtract 75% from 75% from 75%. And that brings it. It brings you down. It brings you down to one point six percent that I oh that goodness. I made it even to that first leg of the of the journey a year ago, and uh, so I just consider it a miracle. I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, I was talking to my cardiologist two weeks ago, and I was kind of whining about, you know, recovery being so slow. And he's like, Dan, you know, you should, you should have died 10 times. <laughs> you know, you're doing great. Your, your, uh, your CAT scans look great. Your blood work looks great. Just, just keep pushing and, and you're going to get there. It may be another year before you're actually, you know, in the 90 percentile, but, but keep pushing it and and uh, don't don't be discouraged. So, um, yeah, it's been crazy. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of walk you through okay. the year a little bit, Andy. Um, yeah. I think for me, when I first had that first that first visit in the ER, uh. I just, I lost all hope. Mm. And uh, God has his ways. And um, so I remember, I don't remember the, the ride in the ambulance getting there, but I did kind of wake up a little bit once I got into the hospital and this nurse and her staff, they were, they were had me on this bed and they were wheeling me into surgery, I think. And uh, I was in so much pain. I just said, please let me die. Uh -huh. And uh, she said, sorry, Daniel, no go. <laughs> I'm not gonna let you die. And uh, it, it, it was as if she was saying, not on my watch, I'm not gonna let you die. And uh, it gave me hope. I'm convinced looking back on all that, that that hope 
is what helped me survive the past year. I don't recall the nurse's name or her face. It was all blur, but uh, it's amazing looking back on that, just how words, just some simple words changed the entire <clears throat> trajectory of my life and gave me hope. And uh, God continued to use that time. I was, you know, of course, went to ER here in the Springs, Colorado Springs, with another nurse called, her name was Catherine. I do recall her name. And uh, she kept coming in the room. She was a believer. And she brought me this, they give you this, these heart pillows to kind of hold against your heart while you're coughing or breathing hard or whatever. And uh, she would come in every day and pray for me. And again, somebody I didn't know just had faith in God and faith in me to, to pull this through. Yeah. So uh, my heart stopped beating on the 23rd. And on the 29th, I had AFib. And um, I know that sometimes when God takes you through these kind of things, there's a lot of physical suffering going on, physical stuff going on. Yeah. <clears throat> but there's also a lot of emotional and relational and mental issues that, that are going on that go kind of go uns unspoken. And so... I, I was, um, I don't want to share too much of this, but I do want to share that it was extremely excruciating for me beyond, beyond the physical. There were some other issues that came into play that were, were kind of tearing me up internally as I was fighting and trusting God and having hope. And I want to say, too, that I, in all this, I really never lost hope. I think that uh, I, I, for some reason, just never lost hope. And I think God knew that I knew that it just wasn't my time to die. And... Um, when I felt like physically things couldn't get worse, you know, I don't know if it was Satan or spiritual warfare or just life and my mistakes and other, other people's mistakes, but these emotional, mental, relational things began to hit me sideways out of nowhere and, and became a struggle as well. And so, <laughs> It, uh, yeah, that was a part of it too. So on June, on the 7th of June, I was discharged from Penrose. I continued to have, having difficulty breathing. Um, my wife, Nora, announced through Caring Bridge that we were selling our home and moving back into a, a smaller place that we owned. Um, I had some swelling in my arms I was struggling incrementally worse and worse with my strength, 
with my breathing. I couldn't even brush my teeth toward the inner shower. I couldn't go for walks anymore. And so I ended up back in ER at Penrose with heart failure. And my lungs and my body began to fill up with fluid again. And my aortic valve, which is the main valve coming out of your heart into the aorta was not functioning properly. And again, I was near death. And so they chose to helicopter me, helicopter ride, I have no memories of, $40,000 worth of helicopter ride. I can't remember any of it. And so they helicoptered me to St. Anthony's up in Lakewood. Okay. Near, near Denver. Denver, yeah. Denver, yeah. And so they began to, I was intubated right away. And they put stents in my lungs to drain the fluid off yeah. my lungs. Huh. So by Ju July 23rd, I was a little bit stronger. The doctor said I was strong enough for surgery. And so they did surgery again. And they worked on my bowels. My bowels were not getting blood. And um, then I had to, issues of bleeding. It wouldn't stop bleeding. And so they semi-closed up my, my belly uh, because they, they do what's called an open, open wound care yeah. in some of your intestines sometimes to wait and see how it's going to go before they close it up. Yeah. Totally. So on July 3rd, I was back into surgery with a lengthy, another tear in my aorta. And... Um, they were trying to repair the valve damage. Uh, on the 11th and 12th of August, they discovered a blood clot in my left arm and irregular heart rhythms. I was having abdominal pains again and intubated again. And by the 15th of August, my body was just, just shutting down again. Yeah. Um, there were issues of possibility of pneumonia. My kidneys were shutting down. Uh, ischemic intestines, which means there are parts of your intestines that are literally, they're, they're dying off. And so they chose surgery yet again. And for some reason, you know, God, God began to speak to Nora in a better way, in a more profound way. And she was just, torn up and yeah. God spoke to her and said, it, everything is going to be okay. One, one day we're going to walk again, <clears throat> hand in hand on the Santa Fe trail here in Monument and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Even though we're, we're facing death in the face again. And she was reminded of God's power to heal. And the doctors and nurses just kept encouraging her, encouraging me and others, and kept using words like fighter, fighter that he is. And so on August 16th, things were getting worse again. My body was shutting down, my bowels and intestines were dying, my lungs were stopping, they were, they were just not working. I was on full ventilation, as high as it would go. And the doctors, one doctor 
he he wanted to pull the plug and just you know let me die yeah and he kept talking about you know my pneumonia and my sepsis me living with a colonoscopy me living with you know colon care the rest of my life which means a bag outside of my body yeah on dialysis for my kidneys possibly oxygen the rest of my life and certainly full medical supervision um so barring any a complete miracle uh this doctor which is part of a team of doctors he was the oldest guy on yeah. the team uh-huh. probably in his 70s he was just thinking it's it's time and so the the younger doctor part of the team so there's like two doctors two surgeons and two pas which is the physician's assistants yeah and the other doctor well the first of all the doctor he wanted to pull the plug just said you know tomorrow morning bring your kids in nora you and the kids and just prepare to say your goodbyes and that was on august 16th so on august 17th at 9 a.m in the morning nora gets i mean she's mentally preparing to say goodbye to me with the kids yeah, yeah. And so at nine o'clock in the morning she gets a call from dr rudersdorf who was the younger doctor and uh He, he offered her an alternative. And he said, I think Dan can get stronger. I think he has the will. He himself, I think, is a believer. He prayed for me before going into both surgeries. The Lord's Prayer. I think he's Catholic. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But uh, I had improved a little bit over the last 24 hours. My lungs were getting stronger. And my battles were a little bit better. And so when he called, he says, I think Dan can pull through this next surgery. I think he can do it. And so the best I could communicate to the doctors was, I am just, I am sick of all the surgeries. Whatever you got to do, do it all at one time. I was just, that's what I was communicating to the doctors. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Rudendorf said, there's nothing he is facing that he cannot recover from at this point. And again, God just provided his hope out of nowhere. In the 11th hour, 11th hour and 59 minutes and uh they agreed they're not going to make me comfortable they're going to reduce the pain medications because the pain medications were making me lethargic and constipated creating a whole different set of problems and they said he's fighting god's fighting for him let's do surgery now so they did, 
And again, Dr. Ruderdorf came in and prayed for me, with me. We prayed together. And so I got through that. I don't know how I got through that. I mean, uh, people were coming to visit me and my church came to visit me. And yeah. I'm, to this day, I'm not sure if they were there to pray for my healing or my last rites before <laughs> I died. <laughs> I don't know. They sent a deacon to, to pray for me. Yeah. So I did go through surgery again. This is my second open heart surgery in less than three months. Yeah. And so they cut, they cut back in the same exact location, opened me up and repaired the aorta again, uh, re-repaired the intestines that had died and put a new cow valve in the top of my, uh, my aorta where it connects to the heart. So I'm part cow now. <laughs> moo, moo. <laughs> uh, so things did slowly, and I mean so slowly, begin to improve. And uh, Nora was there every second, third day. This friend of mine, his name is Roe. He's a He's a, one of those converted Jews who became a Christ follower. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he lives here in Monument, but he had work up in, in Lakewood for yeah. the whole month I was in, the full months I was in ICU. So literally every other day or every third day, here is Roe, that's his name. He's there with me, rubbing my arms, praying over me, encouraging me. He's a Mr. Extra Bird kind of guy. So lots of conversations I could not initiate. He was initiating. Yeah. And just a great brother to have around encouraging me. Yeah. And, you know, Roe is one of those guys. He was rubbing my legs and my feet. And I mean, trimming my toenails, you name it. He was there wow. to, be, to be of help. And so yeah. just a super huge blessing. Yeah. Um, and so gradually, by August 22nd, I was still intubated, still very weak, and I, I couldn't even, I could not even pick up my phone. I was so weak. I mean, I had lost 50 pounds. There was no muscle tone at all. I couldn't lift my arm, couldn't lift my legs, had to start slowly, incrementally, couldn't turn my head. You know, for, for days and almost three weeks, I would just practice turning my head toward the clock or wherever and just praying to God. God, I couldn't talk. Just praying, God, make the clock spin. I, I am just, I'm just immobile. I can't, I can't communicate. I would try to write things down for the nurses. They couldn't read my writing. They couldn't understand what I was saying because I... Uh, I had a trachotomy eventually. Uh -huh. They put a trach in. So in the middle of all this, my daughter fell off a horse, had a concussion, <laughs> injured her neck really bad. And so she was in a bad condition for um, over a month. The, the bleeding from my stomach, they had to go back into my stomach again and stop some bleeding. Wow. And by the 25th of August, they put a trach in because I couldn't 
I couldn't discharge through coughing naturally the things I need to discharge from my lung and lungs in my in my uh, esophagus, my throat. So to put a trach, and I I hate trach tricks, tracheotomies. I mean, you can't talk. It's like <laughs> it's it's great for the medical world, but terrible for the patient because it just further isolates them from being able to communicate and kind of be normal. Couldn't eat, couldn't drink. They, I, they wouldn't give me ice cubes or anything. So let me just kind of fast forward here a little bit. Okay. Um, trying not to belabor too much of this. Um, but things got better and they moved me to a room with a window. I was getting kidney dialysis every, almost every week. The dialysis stopped because my, my kidneys came back to life and got better. And so my core strength, they worked on my core strength. They were picking me up in this big canopy, putting me in a chair, right, right. putting me back into a bed. Well, your lift, I think they call it. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had my first real meal on the 22nd of September. So here <laughs> we go from August, September. It had been a month since they had a real meal. Finally, out of ICU the 27th, um, I went to a rehab hospital in the springs on the 4th of October. Okay. And I had this huge bed sore. It must have been, I imagine. you know, like four or five inches in diameter. Yeah. You know, in the lower back. And um, it took forever to, you know, they had to keep, they had to put this suction thing on the, on the sore. Mm -hmm. So they moved me to, to rehab therapy in the springs on the 4th of October. And I was there for another month. 30 days I was there yeah. in rehab all the while getting this bed sore taken care of and yeah. suction put on that and dressings changed three times a week. Yeah. So, and then I finally came home the 4th of November and uh, had been sleeping in a, a medical bed almost nonstop until, you know, basically, basically last week. It's my last week in medical bed. And oh, wow. so I'm gradually getting some function back, able to walk now yeah. for over a couple of miles. It, it's slow walking, very slow. Yeah. And my, my days are spent in therapy and trying to get my strength back and doing some hours if I can with work with GH and I and, yeah. and the FPI. Yeah. And so... Yeah, it's been quite the... <laughs> it's an unbelievable journey. And, you know, you mentioned the word miracle. It is a miracle. I mean, there's so many miracle, miraculous things. I even think about, like, if this had happened to you years ago, you know, the, the medical world is so advanced. Right. You know, that uh, you, you couldn't have experienced, you couldn't have, they couldn't have treated you. And then even right. just... Even now, I think this is amazing. This is, it's like unbelievable. And yet God, I think the themes you're talking about, God kind of gave you hope uh, through it all. And uh, would, would you say that's kind of been the thing that the Lord's 
you, you mentioned something on our round table just about the, your perspective. I can't, maybe, do you remember? Yeah, you I could, I could unload <laughs> I on that. It down, but. I could, I could say quite a bit about that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a, a incredibly painful, but experientially rich year, I think. Um, as far as experiences go, not, not including like the learning curve. Yeah. I feel like I made a line that, but just the experiences. My in, inability to function. I mean, one day I came home from a hospital and we're driving down the road. And I'm thinking, all these humans I'm looking at driving and going places. I was there six months ago. I was bopping along, doing my own thing, thinking my world was couldn't change. And all of a sudden, boom, I'm incapacitated beyond measure. And uh, in, in ICU, trying to careen my head over, begging God for the clock to, to move faster, losing count of my days and nights, literally. But before I went to a room, a, a room with a window, I lost track of time. Yeah. It's like being in a, in a submarine, you know, or, or you know, a launch to wherever. Yeah. In isolation, I mean, when you can't talk and they put the intubation thing in you and you can't talk and they trichotomy, it's like you just, more and more layers of isolation take place in dead silence from yourself and um, your inability to, to have this normal relating and touch. I mean, one of the most, <sighs> sorry, I'm losing it so much. Um, encouragement comes out of nowhere. And, and I mentioned the nurses and, and Roe. <clears throat> My son, Brian, he's kind of a wild guy, donkey on the edge and a YouTuber, you know, that does all the media stuff and, and travels wherever with YouTube. Um, he came into my room one day and he just held my hand and we couldn't talk. He's, he held my hand for almost an hour. I can't tell you how much that meant to me that this young guy would do that. Spend that much time just in dead silence, holding my hand. And then he said, Dad, excuse the French, but you were one tough son of a bitch. <laughs> it is like, man, it's what I needed to hear, you know? It was just man to man and a man speaking into my life. And this young man happened to be my son. And I was so grateful. So those are some of the experiences. Um, experientially that that I had. Now, as far as learning stuff, you know, I could unpackage a lot. Um, as I share, 
some of this. Please don't think that I've arrived. <laughs> if anything, if anything, the door has just barely been cracked open. I feel like the journey has just begun yeah. in so many ways. Uh, so just slowing down. I think for me, Andy, just the forced slowdown of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I hated being in ICU and incapacitated, it just helped me realize that I can be alive and I don't have to be doing stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. That I can just be alive and, and be with God. Another thing is hope. I mentioned before, I, I don't think I ever lost hope. And hope just kept me alive. It kept me going, literally. Hope that God, I knew God would help me and be my hope. Peace. I mean, peace, peace kind of ebbed and slowed, it ebbed and flowed up and down. It was, it was cyclic. And um, it was inconsistent, but yet there was still peace there. Even when peace, peace dropped down to a level that most would think is unacceptable, it was still there for me at the lower levels of, of, um, of where peace could exist. <clears throat> Joy. This is where I stumbled the worst. Joy was out the window. I had no joy. For months and months, I had no joy. And I still struggle with joy to this day. And so it's a moment of just being honest about that, that, that joy has taken uh, a different position in my life to the degree that I wonder sometimes if I ever had real joy in the Lord, in the Holy Spirit. Something else God is teaching me is that uh, theology is not God. My disciplines are not God. My dependencies, my clinging and grasping to knowledge experiences and relationships and things those are not god um i think one thing i mentioned to you during our last gsa time together in which you may have taken a mental note andy but i mentioned this thing that i've been practicing and again it ebbs and flows too and i don't claim anything but a crack in the door but Part of this journey for me has just been my thought life and things I'm thinking and der derogatory things that I'm thinking, sinful things, um, the angers, the, the um, you know, being uh, betrayed in some ways and um, the repercussions of my own decisions. And so in my, in my thought life, 
what I'm getting to here, and I communicated to you guys before, <clears throat> what I've been doing is, and this is kind of an imagination thing combined with prayer for me, is when I have these stray thoughts, I will literally just stop in my tracks while I'm walking or if I'm sitting, I'll just be still. And I will invite Jesus into what I call, and again, it's kind of a, a play on words, but I invite Jesus Christ into the room of my thoughts. And I don't, I don't ask him to, to do anything. <laughs> I don't ask him to, uh, to heal me. I don't even ask him to take away my derogatory thoughts. Mm -hmm. I simply ask him to be there. And sometimes I say, Jesus, you're welcome to sit or stand or recline or, or whatever. And um, what I find, Andy, is that that's all I need. <laughs> I don't need to ask for anything. I need his presence. I need his presence in my mind, in my thinking, because I know he's already in my heart. And I know he's, he's given me and he's giving me a new heart. So I know he's there. But the radical nature of my mind is where I need him to be and sit. And once in a while, I'll get a little ambitious and I'll and I'll say, Jesus, I need your countenance. I need your face. I need your eyes. I need your forehead. Sounds kind of weird, but I need your countenance right now to be with me in this room of my thoughts. And uh, I need your presence. So that's something that's different <laughs> in a practice that I think I'm seeking to, to make a bigger part of my journey. And it's again, cyclic, I've noticed in the past week or two that I've struggled with that more than earlier months. And so just trying to, to, to make that a framework that I, that I quickly, and a lot of it too is just becoming used to um, being quick being quick to invite him there. And the, and the invitation's always been there for all of us. For you, Andy, for anyone right. on the other end of this podcast, it's to be there in the room of our, of our thoughts. And um, something else that has been, I've been learning is that, I know that a lot of us in our theological backgrounds we refer, uh, and, and I'm not seeking some kind of a charismatic Pentecostal experience here. That's not my aim. 
But I do think that many times in our hist historical personhood of theology and church and Christendom, we have, um, how do I say this? We've third partied the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. It's not you know, it's a, like, yeah, I know what you mean. And it's, I mean, like many times you've been taught, I know in my background with, with some of the ransom heart things have been taught and, you know, inviting Father God to father me uh -huh. as an orphan, as an unfathered kid, an uh -huh. adult, a male. But the Father God becoming Father me, and it's a personal request. It's, it's literally Father come Father me. And yeah. the same thing with, with Christ Jesus. We, we pray in our churches and places of worship and in ministries, Jesus, come be with us and we, we personalize it in a real way we <laughs> we invite the lord jesus to be in the room of our thoughts <laughs> mm -hmm. and so and yet when it comes to the holy spirit it's like it's different we always we don't say when we're praying when we're when we're praying we don't say the father the Father come and help and father me. We don't say the Christ come and we may do that, but not very often. The Christ come and help me and be in my thoughts. But we do that with the Holy Spirit all the time. All the time. I mean, habitually, I was raised the Holy Spirit. That's we refer mm -hmm. to the Holy Spirit as a as a the, a the. And it's like it's starting to to make me wonder, what have I digested about this? Yeah. And, and, um, and so I'm, I'm trying to re regather my thoughts about that mm -hmm. and my heart about that, because I'm realizing that, that God is spirit, that God is the Holy Spirit. And I think that as God is spirit, we as worshipers are to worship him in spirit and truth. The spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. it's it's um uh, and so lately yeah. I've been saying, just saying in my prayer to prayer times, Holy Spirit. And I'm trying to personalize that more instead of third partying him yeah. to, a, to a degree that makes him different than the other part of the Trinity. Right. And, and so anyway, that's, that's a little bit of the journey there. We're kind of running a long time here. One, one thing else that, uh, that God is teaching me is sometimes I'll get so discouraged about life, you know, and we all do. And um, one of my great phrases lately is, is the word no, K-N-O-W. Oh, okay. <laughs> Different no yeah. than the so no. first came to my head. <laughs> yeah, no is like the word you use for boundaries. 
This yeah. is like to, to know, K-N-O-W. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go to God and I'll say, God, ah, kind of breathe deep and I'll like say, I am so grateful, God, that you know. You know that other person causing me whatever. Or you know this situation. You know and you understand. But more importantly, you know what is true and good and whole. And so for me, it's this understanding that I can release something to a God who knows things that only I know or think I know. <laughs> he knows what I know to be truthful about other person or situation always. Right. But I can release that. I can release that and say, God, I'm so grateful that you know. And um, that's been... Um, and then the last thing I want to mention here, and again, our time is short, but lately in my times of, of being isolated and not being able to, to communicate much in the early days of this journey of a year, <clears throat> you know, I, again, I spent most of my, my theological spiritual history reading scripture rather rapidly yeah and um either rapidly or having an, an unwillingness to capture something in scripture that is profoundly good for me and needful for me that i really desire and don't even know it and an unwillingness. I mean, we're raised in these, these Christian circles where context is king. And that's true. I mean, context is king. But what have we, what have I eliminated by making context king always? And and in not just grabbing something that the Holy Spirit is teaching me or wants to teach me out of scripture that is that is not against scripture it's not against theology but it's uniquely there and yet i'm i find myself unwilling to to grab it even though i realize the holy spirit's speaking to me and i think a good example is you and you right now <laughs> i'm going to pick on you a little bit um John 4, 24, you just quoted it. Yeah. Now the Lord is the spirit and his worshipers must worship him and spirit. And you said? In truth, yeah. And in it's, truth. Yes, yeah, so when so all interacting life, with the Samaritan woman at the well. <laughs> yeah. And so all my life, I've been so encapsulated by keeping that sentence all together yeah and and so in the last few months i've actually been 
fragmenting scripture a little bit and saying, hmm, the Lord is the spirit. And I'll just rest there for a while. And it could be a couple hours or a day or a moment later or a few days later. And I'll come back and I'll say, the Lord is the spirit. His worshipers must worship him in spirit. And I'll stop right there dead still. Yeah. And I'll let that be enough. I will allow that to be the context of God speaking to me in a way that's not unscriptural. It's not uncon it's not uncontextual, but it's simply a nugget of truth that the Holy Spirit wants me to digest. Yeah, it's what God it, wants you for that moment to, yeah, to exactly. embrace and understand. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's been it's really <laughs> that's cool, a, Dan. a lot of stuff. That. And uh, thank you for putting up with me, Andy, and the, and the receivers of this for my all of my emoting today. And <laughs> I think definitely God's, you know, put the fertilizer in my life to 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 be more emotional. Mm. To, to emote more i've been pretty tight guy all my life mm. and so um yeah anything else you'd like to no i think this is good i i appreciate you coming on i know it's so hard to relive some of these things you went through dan but i think it's helpful in a community to know and be aware what our members have gone through but also just because your perspective, you were on the brink. I mean, for a doctor to say, to kind of call your wife and your family in and uh, to think, okay, this is it. And then, but all through it all, God really continued to allow you to have hope. And he was performing miracles. I mean, it really is a yeah. miracle where you are and alive. We're grateful. Well, that thanks, you're here with thanks us. for your encouragement. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, sometimes people ask me how I'm doing, and I'll kind of jokingly say, put my fingers on my pulse, and <laughs> I, I'm still, I've still got a pulse, still yeah. breathing. I'm, yeah, I'm grateful for this day. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> well, thank you for uh, just sharing with us, Dan. And sure. So, appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate you, brother. Okay. All right. I know you have many more years left. Thank you. And you'd be walking, have you walking on that that trail with Santa Fe Trail with your wife hand in hand. There we go. Okay. I believe it. All right. Thank you, brother. Well, thank you, Dan. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been the Global Service Associates Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Andy McCullough. Our theme song is Lay It Down by Travis and the Ghost. We hope you catch all our episodes so that we can all better connect as members. Thank you. Thank you.